In this episode of Physically Spiritual, I will continue my exploration of how insights from neurology inform the way we as Christians should approach growing in the character of Christ. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I have been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I have discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. This is part two of a two-part series on Physically Spiritual. So if you haven't listened to the episode from last week, I would encourage you to go back and start there. But a quick reminder for those that have listened and maybe forgotten. We began with the idea of the great omission that Dallas Willard talked about. The great omission was that we as Christians follow the great commission. We go out and baptize others and bring people into our churches. But the great omission is that we don't bring them into full maturity. We don't teach them to observe everything that the Lord has commanded us to observe. With that, we had the insights of Dr. Alan Shore, who talks about attachment theory. The idea of attachment, this this loving knowing that we gain from our primary caregivers that is a sort of emotional Rosetta Stone by which we navigate the rest of our lives with. Attachment is the strongest force in the human brain. And then finally, this idea of neurotheology. Neurotheology is the study of how neurology informs our theology, how science informs our Christian practice. The the basic concept is that, that we have a dual processor inside of us. The right and left side of our brain generally functions differently. This is a a bit of oversimplification, but this theory is called the lateralization of the brain. The left side of our brain focuses on information, data, strategy, logic, and this is the slower side of our brain. This is the side that works with focused attention on something. On the other hand, the right side of the brain, this is the side that focuses on attachment and love and emotion and connection and relationship. The right side of the brain is sometimes called the fast track processor. It works much more quickly than the left side of our brain because it's involved with our survival instincts. It's the side of our brain that when we we move into a room, determines whether we're safe or threatened, and then signals our body to react appropriately to the situation we're in. The right side of our brain focuses on the whole. It's capable of joint directed attention, meaning of being connected with somebody else and then heart-to-heart, focusing on the same thing together. And then finally, the, the right side of the brain is what transforms our character. So it's involved in our default reactions to things. If, if I'm hungry, angry, lonely, tired, if I'm in a place where I'm going to be weak, where I, I'm feeling immature, that small part of me comes out. It's the right side reactions that are going to come out in my behavior in that space. So the theory that's put out by Dr. Jim Wilder is that it's this right side process that we have to train as Christians in order to grow out of bad habits, to grow out of our sins that are ingrained in us. And so the the church oftentimes overemphasizes the left side practice, meaning the gaining the information, the reading the books, the, the studying the scripture, the discussion group, the picking up the information of the faith to the neglect of the right side the experiencing God's love, having a community, becoming a people, having those relationships at the core of us. Or on the other hand, we might have a church that overemphasizes the right side. 
It's all about the relationship and the love of and sharing the love, but to the neglect of the doctrine. So that even though the people are connected and motivated, they aren't moving in the right direction. They're not living a life that gives God glory and honor. So we need both spiritual disciplines in our life, those things that build up that left side process, but we also need relational skills to be developed in our life. The things that will, will develop that, that heart level attachment, help us to grow in relationship with others. Now, I want to begin the, the, the meat of this new episode with some issues that I have with Dr. Wilder's approach. Now, these thinkers aren't, aren't Catholics, so they have a different view of the human person than we would. So the first thing is when Dr. Wilder talks about attachment, he contrasts attachment with the will. He says, on one hand, we have willpower, which is actually a weak force in the human person. And on the other hand, we have attachment, which is a strong force in the brain that can help us to change. When we approach a problem by simply trying to try harder, right, we're trying to sally that willpower, which isn't helpful. And on the other hand, we need to build skills to transform us to change our heart toward the action. But we as Catholics understand the will as the rational appetite. I mean, there's, there's this connection between the heart and the mind for us. And the classics had a distinction between two terms, ratio and intellectus. Ratio and intellectus. This is probably most recently and famously uh, talked about by the great uh, philosopher Joseph Pieper in the second chapter of the book, Leisure, the Basis of Culture. He says the Middle Ages drew a distinction between the understanding understanding as ratio and understanding as intellectus. Ratio is the power of discursive logical thought, of searching and of examination, of abstraction, of definition and drawing conclusions. Intellectus, on the other hand, is the name for the understanding insofar as it is the capacity of simplex intuitus, sorry for my Latin pronunciation, this simple intuition in English. Moving on. Of the simple vision to which truth offers itself like a landscape to the eye, the faculty of mind, man's knowledge, is both these things in one. According to antiquity in the Middle Ages, Simultaneously, ratio and intellectus, and the process of knowing, is the action of the two together. The mode of discursive thought is accompanied and impregnated by an effortless awareness. The contemplative vision of the intellectus, which is not active but passive, or rather receptive. The activity of the soul in which it receives that which it sees. All right, so what's the saying? So he's not saying that we have two different faculties of soul, ratio and intellectus. What he's saying in our one faculty of mind, our reason, this faculty has, has two, different, um, two different powers, two different abilities, two different capabilities would probably be the best word, this ratio and intellectus. In ratio, the person is the subject acting on the object which is known. So I'm the person, and if I'm using ratio, I'm looking at something as the object, and I'm coming to understand it. I'm thinking about it discursively, meaning A to B to C. They're sort of steps. I'm, I'm active. It's an intellectual kind of a work, an effort to understand. Imagine 
uh, reading a, a math problem, and you're going to have to work it out step by step. This is the ratio part of your faculty of reason. On the other hand, intellectus is the opposite, right? Ratio, I'm the subject, and what I'm knowing is the object. On the other hand, in intellectus, I am the object, right? Something is acting on me. So intellectus is, is the process of seeing and coming to know. It's a simple process. It's might call it intuition. And this process is what's involved in contemplation, right? The process of receiving from God our prayer. This is the height of intellectus. This is the height of our capacity, our capacity to know God, to receive from God. Um, but these work together in us. So as children, we say that we reach the age of reason. This is somewhere between six, seven, eight, nine years old. The church says that uh, the Catholic church, the um, Western rite of the Catholic church says that churches, that children should receive their first communion once they've reached this age of reason. So this age of reason is the point at which the child has that capacity of ratio to the point where they can go through that process to understand and then express the doctrine of what the church believes about the Eucharist, that it's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. But just because the child hasn't reached the age of reason doesn't mean that they don't know anything yet. How can this be the case? It's the case because they've been experiencing this intellectus through their whole life, this kind of simple contemplation. So I want to circle back to our idea of attachment. So what Dr. Shore says is attachment is this foundational relationship. It's this relationship of love that's formed with our primary caregivers. And then my way of understanding it is it's this sort of Rosetta Stone that our mind has by which we come to encounter relational and emotional situations throughout our life. Uh, so if we understand the will as the rational appetite, meaning it's the drawing, the movement of the heart as a result of what we know, I would propose that there isn't a distinction between the will and attachment. But that what attachment love is, is the expression of the will in light of that kind of intellectus process we've gone through. Imagine a little baby. I, I have a six-month-old child right now. And what I notice again and again is that he watches me. And if I'm not looking at him, sometimes he'll make noises to get my attention. He wants to see me looking at him. And as he's watching me, Right? He, he reacts to my emotions, and sometimes he'll do some things to change my emotions. Right? He, he's, he's coming to know by experiencing himself being known. <laughs> he's the object of my knowing, but that's transforming his brain. That's, that's forming this attachment between he and I. So this a attachment is both a kind of knowledge. It's part of our faculty of reason. And it's also then part of our will. It's part of our rational appetite. It's this simple intuition of the child as they experience themselves being loved by their parent. All right, the other 
area that I want to draw attention to is that when Dr. Jim Wilder talks about attachment, he equivocates it with the idea of Scripture, the word hesed in the Old Testament. It's a, a, it's a Hebrew word and the word agape in the New Testament for love. And he says that these words hesed and agape are just synonyms for the word attachment. And I don't think we wanted to do that of sort of flattening out the meaning of these words because they also have a theological meaning. What I would say is that attachment is the neurocorrelate of experiencing said, And then attachment love is the expression of the heart when somebody is choosing agape love. Right? So so attachment it, it goes along with said and agape, but isn't the same as them. And I don't need to get, get deeper into that because um, I want to keep developing the ideas in the text. But I wanted to give you that context uh, just so you can kind of understand that, that these thoughts aren't coming from a Catholic worldview. Um, so if you were to pick up one of the books that are linked in the show notes about this topic, you know, there are going to be some things um, maybe that don't drive completely, but the core ideas of what they're getting at easily translate into the Catholic perspective and are super valuable for us too. So I believe strongly that God offers us a new attachment. God offers us a new attachment. We have this foundational attachment, this foundational relational posture to the world from our primary caregivers. But when Jesus talks about our conversion, our, our baptism, he calls it a new birth. In John chapter 3, the beginning of John chapter 3, uh, Jesus answered Nicodemus saying, Amen, amen, I say to you, no one can seek the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can a person, once grown old, be born again? Surely he cannot re-enter his mother's womb and be born again, can he? Jesus answered him, Amen, amen, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. So when Jesus talks about our conversion, when he talks about our baptism, he talks about it as a new birth. So going back to Jesus' great commission to go, therefore, and baptize all people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and to teach them all that I have commanded you. I would propose that if baptism is a new birth, then learning to observe all that Jesus commands us is a new childhood. So the, the process of spiritual growth, of spiritual maturity, is going to, in a sense, mimic the developmental process of a child. God proposes, God invites us and introduces himself to us in terms of being a father, of giving us the love of a father. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says, which one of you would hand his son a stone when he asks for a loaf of bread or a snake when he asks for a fish? If you then who are wicked know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father Give good things to those who ask him. In Jeremiah chapter 31, he says, With compassion I will guide them. I will lead them to streams of water on a level road without stumbling. For I am a father to Israel. God presents himself to a father, as a father to us. So I think he's inviting us into a new attachment, into a new development, into a healing development, because no parents are perfect. No parents are perfect because no one is sinless except for Jesus and Mary. 
So some of the, the maturity stages that they talk about in the life model, where the, a lot of these ideas are coming from, and I'll link the resources in the show notes. There's an infancy stage we go through. This is from birth until about the age of three or four. During this time, the infant needs joy bonds with both parents. Their needs need to be met without them asking, or they need to be responded to quickly. The, the child needs quiet time with the parents. They need to be help regulating their distressing emotions. They need to be seen through the eyes of their parents, and they need to receive life from their parents and also experience themselves giving life to their parents. Uh, so then the next stage from, you know, maybe age three to four to about age 13, 12, 13, what the child needs is to be weaned, meaning to be given some space. They need help to do things they don't feel like doing. They need help sorting their feelings, imagination, reality. They need feedback on their failures and on their attempts, their guesses. They need to start to learn their family history, grow in their identity, who they are. So then there's the adult stage. This is kind of from the time you're a teenager until you have a child. You need a rite of passage. You need that affirmation. You need time to bond with peers and form a group identity outside of the home. You need to start to relate and learn how to relate to members of the opposite sex. You need to be taught how to use your body and your sexual faculty properly. Uh, and then you need to be guided in how to live in community. And then finally, there's the, the parent stage and the elder stage. And I'm not going to get into those so much um, for sake of time. But also, I think a lot of us spiritually are growing through earlier stages than this. I want to propose if we're still struggling with some kind of habitual sin, with some kind of um, addiction, maybe a compulsive behavior, some place where we're just acting contrary to the law of God, but it's also out of character, like it doesn't jive with the rest of our life. And then we're, we're trying harder to grow. We're trying harder to get better. It might be because we're in this kind of earlier stage of the spiritual life. It doesn't benefit us to, to think that we're further advanced than we actually are. An honest assessment of our growth and an acceptance of that, and then receiving what we need to grow properly in that stage is essential to our spiritual maturity. Thinking we're further along or further advanced than we are is really a recipe for disaster because we're going to expect more from ourselves than what is the case, what is possible. And then we're also not going to get what we ever need to actually grow. We're going to stagnate. So what does this process of growth look like? The core of it is actually the experience of joy. This experience of joy. Joy is what the right side of the brain runs on. There are certain emotions that are actually hardwired into the brain. And one of the only positive emotions hardwired into the brain is called joy. Dr. Alan Shore defines joy as when we experience that we're the sparkle in someone else's eye. Joy is the experience of being the sparkle in someone else's eye. It's intellectus. It's a, it's a receiving. It's a being an object of being known by someone else. And when God talks about his relation to us in the scripture, he also talks about it in light of this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts 
to bring to light the knowledge of the glory of God on the face of Jesus Christ. The light of the glory of God on the face of Jesus Christ. There's a classic devotion in the church to the, to the face of Jesus, to the divine face, uh, to this experience of the face of the Lord. Numbers chapter 6. This is the blessing that the chosen people would offer to one another. Numbers chapter 6 says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you kindly and give you peace. The Lord look upon you and then give you peace, has said. So it's literally this experience of, of, of experiencing the gaze of the Lord and then in response to that, experiencing this, has said, this connection. All right, finally, Psalm 21 says, You make him the pattern of blessing forever. You gladden him with the joy of your face. For the king trusts in the Lord, stands firm through the mercy of the Most High. With the joy of your face, is what the psalmist says. And then as a result of experiencing the joy of the Lord's face, it says that the king stands firm through the mercy of the Most High. So the king's ability to stand firm is as a result of being gladdened with the joy of God's face, of experiencing this kind of joy from the Lord. Um, so I think the scripture is saying to us clearly that God wants to feed the right side of our brain. God wants this kind of connection to us. God wants this attachment love to us, and he wants to feed us this way. So we need certain conditions in order to acquire relational skills, in order to develop this right side of the brain. So first, we need a connection to a, a greater mind. A greater mind could be God, it could be a caregiver, or it could be a mentor, right? a spiritual director, a counselor, someone who is further along in the journey who you can connect with. And then in that relationship, you need to experience real joy and attachment love, physical joy, that, that, that relationship of realizing that they see you and they love you, being the sparkle in their eye. Uh, so in light of that, then the next thing you need is imitation. Right? We're not designed to learn just by figuring out information. But the way we learn is by seeing the person and imitating the person. This is what Jesus does with his disciples. When he forms his disciples, he gets 12 guys and they live together for three years. So they experience a connection with the greater mind. They have this real joy and attachment love. And then they know how to follow the Lord because they have lived with them. They can imitate him. And then the final stage to develop a relational skill is practice. It's not just a, a one and done. It's something we need to do and live and, and act in day after day. This concept of real community is so important. A real community includes mentors and peers. There's tears to it. We need mentors to connect to and imitate, receive from, and we need peers to practice with, to be in community with, to make mistakes with, to figure it out with. We're designed for this kind of connection. And so many of our churches have a poverty of people who have true spiritual maturity. So you might be in a church and wonder, like, who are these people who I can have this kind of relationship or connection with? Or even if I do have a mentor, it's just sort of like him and me. Like, there's nobody else. There's no one around me that I can live with and learn with. But that, that right side of the brain 
is constantly asking the question, who are my people? What would my people do in this situation? So it's this kind of character change. These relational skills aren't built in the context of me and Jesus or me alone. They're built in the context of being a people, a people of God, a church. So with that, I'm going to sign off. So part of you are probably wondering, like, what are these actual relational skills that I need to be doing? So the end of season three of Physically Spiritual, I'm going to devote whole episodes to these different specific skills in light of all of the different teachings that we're approaching. Uh, So in light of the teaching that we talked about previously, um, about polyvagal theory and about a somatic experiencing, in light of the teaching about healing from Dr. Bob Schutz and the John Paul II Healing Center, in light of this teaching on neurotheology from the Life Model and Thrive Today, And then the next series, we're going to start talking about the thought of Dr. Conrad Bars, a Catholic uh, psychiatrist who uh, worked to integrate the ideas of Freud and the ideas of St. Thomas Aquinas in the 20th 20th century. So with that, if you want to support any of the work that we do here at Awaken Catholic or the show Physically Spiritual, consider becoming a member of the Totus Tuus community. The Totus Tuus community is a group of patrons of Physically Spiritual who donate any amount of money to the show a month. In, uh, in uh, exchange for that, you receive different perks at different giving levels, access to the full Ask Me Anything episodes, exclusive content, um, and also the opportunity to have your questions answered first and much more. So go over to physicallyspiritual.com to check out the different perks and become a member of the Totus Tuus community. Uh, if you want to get access to your perks or want access to any of the content published by Awaken Catholic, get the Awaken app. You can go to theawakenapp.io or search for the Awaken app on the Google Play Store or Apple App Store to get access. Thank you so much for being a part of Physically Spiritual. Every moment of the show you've watched, know that I'm grateful that you've given your time to this. I'm so passionate about the message that I'm trying to share, and I'm excited about the future of the show. So thank you for every like, every view, every watch, every follow, every comment, every rating you give in the show. And a special thank you to all you that are already members of the Awakened Nation. So thanks again for supporting the show.